Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown. So as I said uh, during our host moment, we are wrapping up this five-part series. Each letter in the acrostic, the word bless, has represented an element in this neighbor-loving evangelism strategy. The first four weeks looked like this. B, begin with prayer. Talk to God about your neighbors before you begin talking to your neighbors about God. L, listen. Listen with compassion. True listening might be the greatest gift that you can give someone. E, eat together, gather at a table, gather over a coffee, over a meal. Do the things that Jesus did when he invited people to the tables where he was. S, serve. That was last week. Serve open-handedly, doing for others as an act of blessing, remembering that there are times when we have to let people bless us too. And today's the final week of the series, and it's the second S, and I already said it. This letter is story. We're going to tell the story. Now, in this series, we've used terms like loving your neighbor, changing the world. I mean, those are big, big concepts. But don't miss the ultimate purpose, the divine purpose of this whole study has been for us to earn the right through establishing a f- and a, a fostering an ongoing relationship with our neighbors so that at a time of God's choosing, we can share with them the story of our own eternal hope in Christ. There's also an important part to this process that we landed on in our Monday Night Connect group a couple of weeks back. Yes, these elements are all laid out in a nice, neat, cutesy way that spells out the word bless, which is awesome for a church study, you know. But the process isn't linear. The process isn't you can only do L after you've done B, and you can only do E after you've done L. You're going to bounce around. Yes, there are some foundational parts in it, but it's not in some carved-in stone order. So I, I want to make that clear to you. We can be serving, we can be growing in our faith journey, we can be connecting into community before we ever know Jesus personally. And if that hasn't happened for us yet, well, this evangelism strategy is exactly the same. We, we don't have to do these things in order. It's always good, of course, to start anything with prayer but before we do anything, but why would I wait to serve my neighbor in some way or hold back from helping them in a way that I know I could help them simply because I haven't had a meal with them yet or because I haven't listened long enough or sufficiently to what's happening in their lives. That would defeat the entire purpose. So the unapologetic, ultimate purpose for this process is more than friendship. It's a friendship that can, in time, present a setting for the sharing of the good news with our neighbors. That's what evangelism is. And that happens best, and it happens in accordance with the example set by Jesus himself. And it happens when that person we're trying to bless can receive it as a blessing to them instead of a statement 
that says you're not where I think you should be yet in life. This is what all the other elements in this study have been leading up to. The opportunity in God's timing to tell the story of our own lives in Christ to the end that as we wrap up this series thinking about how each one of us might tell our own stories of salvation, that's where we're going to spend our time today, talking about telling the story. You might remember that we've adopted a storytelling culture here at first over the last number of years, and just last May, we had a series here called Roots, and that's where we had four people on the platform telling us their stories. I found Mark's and Pamela's and Kim's and Ben's stories really so powerful, and they generously gave us the gift of letting us hear their own personal transformative stories, which then gives us a new appreciation for the hand of God in their lives. Now, the traditional church word for that is testimony, okay? And for most of us, when we hear the word testimony, if you're of a particular generation, it immediately brings to mind a courtroom setting. We have to give testimony. In a courtroom environment, witnesses are brought forward with a vow to tell the truth about something they've seen or heard or experienced. They're there to tell their story. They aren't the prosecutor. They aren't the defense attorney making ironclad arguments and slick closing statements. They're not the judge. They're not the jury. The outcome of their offering their testimony isn't in the hands of the witnesses. They are there for one purpose, and that is to enter into the record their sworn firsthand story. Testimony. Testimony that someone at a certain time will decide is true or accurate for them or not. Well, that process of just telling your story and testifying to it echoes an event in the Bible. Uh, we find it in the New Testament Gospel of John. And uh, as I said earlier, we're in chapter 9 this morning. It's where we read about a man who in every literal sense of the word is called upon to testify. To testify about something very personal to him. And I want to read the man's testimony with you this morning. Uh, not just so that we can appreciate the content of his story... Uh, and also of what he witnessed firsthand, but how he communicates that content. Because I think, I actually feel very confident we can learn from him what it means to share our own testimonies of faith. So we're looking at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and to get some context for this man's later testimony about his first-hand encounter with Jesus. John 9, 1 through 7, says this in the New International Version. As he, this is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, the word that means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. The basic context for these words 
involve Jesus and his disciples. They're in Jerusalem. They encounter a man born blind. And take note up front of the disciples' main assumptions about that man's physical conditions and what caused it. The theology of the disciples at the time was that this limited ability, this disability, this disease, whatever the case was, was a punishment from God for some unconfessed, unrepented sin, either in the life of the man himself or handed down through his parents. Well, you know, sadly, the disciples of 2,000 years ago aren't the only Christ followers who ever thought that way. As a person myself who lives with a mental health diagnosis, I regularly have encountered people in 2023 who think the exact same way. They learn that I'm depressed, or they learn someone has anxiety, or they learn that someone lives with bipolar disorder, and right away they conclude that it's the result of sin. You, you, you haven't prayed enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. I can tell you, as a first-hand testimony of my own, that's not helpful. It's, it's, it's hurtful. It's evil. It's a lie from Satan. It serves no godly purpose. It serves no good purpose. It only serves to hurt. And that's what the enemy is all about. But, I will say as someone who's been told these things in a variety of ways, Jesus' response to the disciples in verse 3 of what we just read actually fills me with so much hope and so much gratitude when I read it. In responding to the disciples' incorrect assumptions, the Lord makes it clear, no, this man's health problem, this is not about sin. It's not a sin issue, actually. It's a God issue, actually. It's, in fact, an opportunity for us to see the hand of God at work in this person's life, right? So, to, to put this another way, Jesus is saying, don't assume that this disability, this illness, this disease is somehow evidence that God is absent, why don't you look at it as evidence of God's presence? That God's doing a work in this person's life. That God is active in this person's life, not absent. Well, I feel like I'm going to blow past the whole point of the story here, but the man gets healed. <laughs> okay, the man gets healed. And the end result of this initial interaction with the man born blind is that he goes away from Jesus and the disciples. He's renewed He's healed. He goes away, now able to see. And now his problems begin with the people around him. You, you can imagine seeing a person day after day, maybe for decades, as they sat in the public square uh, due to some medical condition. It left them totally financially dependent on others. And then one day, you pass them walking down the, walking down the, the sidewalk. And you go... Wait a minute. That, no. Well, this is what the people in Jerusalem had to feel about this man who had been born blind. They had been seeing him for who knows how long. They had seen him depending on the financial grace from others. And then verses 10 through 12 give us an idea of their confusion. Actually, starting at verse 8. Let me start there. After, uh, um, 
His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, it just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. The healed man is quickly brought before a group of religious leaders who routinely would hold their own kind of pseudo courtroom hearings, not unlike a little trial. And he's brought there so that he can tell his story to them, to testify to them about what's happened to him. And he tells them the same story that he's been telling everybody all day long. Look at Jesus came along. He healed me. Now I have sight. It's evidently not something that the Pharisees were interested in having him testify to because then they bring in other witnesses. They don't believe him. They bring in his parents. And when they're questioned, they basically say, look, yeah, that's my son. Yeah, he was born blind. Yeah, he's obviously not blind anymore. I don't know how that happened. You need to take it up with him. So they decide to do that, the Pharisees. They summon the man again in verses 24 and 25. The second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. See, I'm highlighting the testimony by this witness with regards to his encounter with Jesus because what he does in these verses I think is instructive for how we as Christ followers can testify and witness to our stories. There are three parts to the man's testimony here that I want to highlight for us this morning. They form the substance of his firsthand witness. Number one, there's the reality that he testifies to about where he was before he encountered Jesus. Number two, there's the reality of the encounter with Jesus and how that's now at the heart of the story that he's telling. And number three, there's the reality of where the man is today as a result of that encounter with Jesus. Where he was, where he is, and how an encounter with Jesus made the difference. Three parts. So where was he? He was disabled. He was marginalized. Totally dependent on the generosity of others since his blindness meant that he couldn't work. And his illness, his condition is misjudged day after day by others, including the disciples themselves. And then along came Jesus. What was the man's experience with the Lord? Well, he was healed. He was enabled, he was shown great mercy by the Son of God. And then finally, as a result of having meet, met Jesus, where is he now? <laughs> Standing there, telling all who will listen about his encounter with Jesus. And he's doing so now with eyes that can see things they've never seen before. And hear that statement as a reference not only to his physical condition, but also his spiritual condition. He now has eyes that see. 
Now, you might have heard me say before when it comes to telling your story or me telling mine that we don't have to argue someone into believing us. We just need to tell the story. So we need to be respectful. We need to yet be confident, though, to testify about what we have lived through firsthand. That's the attitude that this now healed man takes with the Pharisees. Within his testimony, he basically says to them, look, you are totally free to make up your own mind on this. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to accept it yourself, unless, of course, you want to follow Jesus too, he throws in. But I've told you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I told you where I was. You can see for yourself where I am. And make no mistake, it was Jesus of Nazareth who made the difference. So let me ask if God has ever opened a door of opportunity for you, where you have at last earned the right to testify, and to tell your story of deliverance from death by Jesus. When you prayerfully ask Him to do that, and when He does, well, consider this model of this man in John chapter 9 and use it. Here's what I mean. In two minutes or less, explain where you were before you encountered Jesus' grace. Don't think you have to have this dramatic beginning to hook them into listening to the rest of your story. You don't have to have been in prison. You don't have to have been addicted. You don't have to be physically disabled or in some desperate strait. It's your story. Just tell your story. Just tell your story. Where were you? In my case, I lived the first 25 years of my life not even taking notice of God, not even taking notice of spiritual things. And that led me to a very unsatisfied place in life where I came to question what on earth I'm here for. Number two, in another two minutes or less, tell the story of where you are now. Where am I? Well, today I am grateful. I'm so hopeful. I have something substantial to live for, a purpose, a mission, to become great at helping others become great for the kingdom of God. I know now how loved and blessed I am. And most days, most days, because I'm human and also depressed, <laughs> I could not be more content in my relationship with Jesus than I am right now. Three, in two minutes or less, explain how that change in your life actually happened. How did I go? How did I go from wandering and spiritually lost to being spiritually settled and resolute in my life's mission? Jesus, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his sacrifice for my benefit, only Jesus could do that for me. Only Jesus did do that for me. And that's what he does for anyone who will decide to follow him and journey through life knowing that he's leading the way. That's it. Five minutes or less. So what's your story? What is your story? Were you once spiritually blind in some way too, but now you see the goodness of God around you? Well, that's your story. Tell it. Whenever you get the God-ordained opportunity to do that. Were you raised going to church, but only later in life came to understand who Jesus really is to you? And has that realization made a difference in your life? Well, then tell that story. 
Did you spend too much time in your life trying to feel complete or satisfied by things in the world only to finally come to the place where you feel spiritually complete because a God-shaped peace in my life, in your life, has just finally clicked into place? Somebody needs to hear that story from you. Tell it. Tell it when you're given the opportunity to give testimony to what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced through Jesus. But please always remember to do it in a manner that is respectful, that is gracious. You're there to give firsthand testimony. You're not there to present a closing argument that demands a verdict on the spot from your neighbor. When the conversation turns to evangelism and telling our stories, I've just made it seem so easy and so simple, some no doubt will think, I, you know what, Pastor, I would not know what to say. And perhaps not. But God does. And His Spirit is active and resident within you. If you've been made alive again as a Christ follower, Matthew 10, 19 and 20 confirms it when it says, don't worry about what you have, uh, what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Heavenly Father speaking through you. Others of us may be thinking along the lines of, I, you know, isn't it rude to impose your beliefs on another person? Yeah, but that's not what you're doing. You are honestly answering someone's inquiry about your beliefs. That's not imposing. In fact, it could be a great life-saving gift to them that you answer their question. Romans 10, 14 says, How can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they've not heard? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you know the new good news about Jesus, share that good news with respect, with love, with humility when you're given that chance by your neighbor to tell your story. Finally, you may think, you know, I, I hear you, but I still feel awkward doing it. I still feel weird about telling my story to others. That's fair. I'll, I'll grant you that one. The first few times that you tell your story, it can feel really weird. It can feel very unnatural and, and awkward. So then decide right now to practice that story so that it won't be weird or awkward when the time comes, that you won't have hesitancy, that you'll be as prepared as possible in advance. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready. Just be ready to testify. You don't know when the opportunity is going to come. Prepare ahead of time that five-minute talk that says, here's where I was, here's where I am, and here's how Jesus made the difference. If you aren't certain that Jesus has made a difference in your life, though, I encourage you to be certain today. To bring your whole life, all of its parts, especially the broken ones, to Him. 
If you haven't known firsthand the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, then that's a big part of your story that you aren't able to tell. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning that Jesus would make himself real and intimately known to you so that you could then testify to the firsthand knowledge that no one who encounters Jesus Christ goes away unchanged or unrenewed. So I invite you to join me as we pray. Father, I thank you for all of the stories that are in this room right now. I thank you for the way that you have worked uniquely in the lives of the people who gather here as your congregation. But Lord, it may be that for some, they're taking the first tentative steps on that faith journey and haven't known in a way that they can put into words how much you've changed their lives. So, Father, I invite you, please, Lord, hear their prayer this morning. As silently they cry out and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, save me. Amen. If you did offer that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to talk to me so that I can help you move forward on your discipleship journey track. So this sermon is the fifth and final week of this evangelism-based series. I hope it's not going to be the end of this material for you, though. I actually am praying that it's actually the beginning for you, that you now feel like as a result of these five weeks, you have a few more tools in the toolbox when it comes to sharing your faith. It's possible, actually, no, it's likely that you haven't done all of the five bless steps in order, like I said, so don't worry about it. So what? Don't get caught up treating this bless model of evangelism like it's a formula. You got to move from one to the next to the next in order to get the result you want. You don't have any control over the result. That's in the hands of God. Over the last five weeks, you began praying for your neighbors. Don't stop just because this series is over. You may have begun investing time in your neighbors, listening to them with compassion. Don't stop that either. I heard last week of people bringing food to their neighbor for the first time just to build a relationship and how later that week the neighbor returned the favor. Don't stop doing that. That's an amazing start. Be vigilant in seeking to serve the needs of your neighbor with no agenda except that you truly and sincerely want them to be blessed. And then, when God says, now it's time, tell them your story. Tell them your story, whether that story began 50 years ago or a minute ago. Go. Be a blessing in this world and start with the ones that you consider to be neighbors. And as we close, let this final quote remind you of what God is calling us to be an active part of. There's no telling where God might send us or what he might lead us to do. Following Jesus isn't meant to be comfortable. It's meant to be life-changing. 
You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca, today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's Rooted and Reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it. Until next time, thank you for listening.